Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds on May 31st and June 1st hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. There's a place in Washington where policy ideas go to be shaped, considered, debated, dramatically rejected, and sometimes revived once again. I'm, of course, talking about our state legislature. State lawmakers have just around two and a half weeks remaining to get bills across the finish line this session. And right now, it's a rough scene. Some bills have been axed, looking at you, lower DUI limit. Others are facing the push-pull of bipartisan negotiations. And a select few are sailing their way to the finish line. But one piece of legislation sticks out for its rocky journey. House Bill 2114, also known as the Rent Stabilization Bill. Northwest News Network state government reporter Jeannie Lindsay is here to help explain where that bill currently stands and why this story has gotten so dang weird, Jeannie. Hey, thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to talk about it. So what is 2114, the House bill that we're talking about today? What's it meant to do and who's behind it? Yeah, so as you're saying, that, that this House version of the bill is the rent stabilization bill. Some people call it rent control, uh, but the goal is to slow rising rent costs by capping the amount that landlords can raise existing tenants' rent each year. Um, under this legislation, landlords would also have to give tenants six months advanced notice if they do plan to raise rents 3% or more, um, and late fees are capped at 1.5% of a person's monthly rent. So a couple of different things for Uh, rent and landlord and tenant protections. So folks behind it argue that it isn't rent control because landlords could, under this bill, make rent cost whatever they want in between tenants. But realistically, it's a type of uh, it's a type of way to control or at least slow down rising rental costs in order to keep people in their homes. The bill is backed by Representative Emily Alvarado from Seattle and dozens of other House Democrats um, and A lot of advocacy groups focused on housing and social justice or equity issues are also backing this bill. So earlier this month, rent stabilization was in major trouble. Walk me through what has happened here. Yeah, it's been pretty weird. Uh, So at the end of January, a Senate committee was voting on its version of the bill. Um, It was brought up for a voice vote, which is pretty typical. There were some changes made to the Senate bill, also pretty typical. And then the vote happened and the chair said the bill passes subject to signatures, all pretty typical. So it seemed fine and business as usual. But several days later, it turned out that one of the Democrats on the committee, Senator Annette Cleveland from Vancouver, hadn't signed the paperwork to make that vote official. And then on the day the bill had to make it out of the committee, the paperwork needed to be filed or the legislation would be dead where it stood. Uh, She announced via a pretty lengthy statement that she ultimately wouldn't support the Senate bill. And that came as a shock to a lot of people, um, including the committee chair and the Senate sponsor of that bill. Wait, so she voted for something, but then she didn't sign the paperwork to ratify that vote? I mean, does that ever happen? Yeah. I mean, the Senate does a lot of voice voting. So some people will chime in and some people won't. And what I learned is that it's not unusual for senators to not immediately sign the paperwork. I mean, it's a busy time to be in the legislative session. So sometimes they'll come back and sign it later. Um, But this situation was very unique um, and, and maybe unprecedented. 
wanted for a bill to seemingly pass, only for the deciding voter, uh, you know, this this one senator to ultimately reverse course or or to not support it days later. Um, it's pretty strange to me. I watched this committee hearing and Senator Cleveland during the vote um, or even after it didn't say anything about the bill at all, even when the chair of the committee offered time for for senators to speak on the legislation. Now, I did reach out to Senator Cleveland's office to get more information about what exactly happened. Um, and she wouldn't talk to me for an interview, but um, I've, I've heard that she was surprised by the vote, apparently, and thought the bill would have more time to be considered in committee, but still plenty of questions about how exactly this uh, unfolded and, and why it was able to unfold this way. Yeah, she talked to some other reporters about being on the phone with the economists right up until the vote and, you know, not being ready. She had some concerns that um, the rental increase cap was too high even there was also some data showing that Washington's efforts to increase housing availability may be working and could be damaged by a rent cap, like fewer developers would build new buildings. Um, all of this, again, things that she's talked about a bit in the press. Um, does HB 2114 deal with any of those concerns, Janie? Some. Uh, the House bill does have a lower rent cap. So Senator Cleveland said in her statement that, you know, the 15 percent number in the Senate bill was too high. The House bill is about half that. It's at 7 percent. So that that's one aspect. Um, the bill, the House bill also has some exemptions for new construction um, and a part of the bill that requires landlords to allow tenants to break leases if the rent is going up by more than 3 percent. That was taken out. So uh, the Senate bill also has had an expiration date. Notably, the House version doesn't have one of those. But I'm sure that if this bill does keep moving, we'll see more changes. So there could be more efforts to appease some of the concerns that Cleveland or others have about the legislation, but still very much a work in progress. So the bill has now passed through the House and is once again in the Senate. Do you think this bill is going to actually become law this year? Does it have a chance? I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, the Senate has decided on a new tactic for this House bill instead of sending it to the Housing Committee, where Senator Cleveland, um, you know, rejected the the other version of it. The Senate actually is sending the House bill through the Ways and Means Committee. Oh, working around her. OK, exactly. Yeah. So it is on a different path. The Senate Ways and Means Committee is a much larger committee. There is a larger Democratic uh, margin of of lawmakers there. So it could have an easier path to the floor through that committee. Um, but it still remains to be seen how each of those lawmakers on that committee will you know, make their decisions on that legislation. And then the bill also has to pass off the Senate floor, which, I mean, the House bill passed by, I think, nine votes with a handful of Democrats voting against it, too. So there's really no way to tell. But it certainly still is in a, an uneasy spot um, as far as whether it's going to pass or not. And again, this would cap rent increases at 7 percent statewide. We'll be following your reporting on whether that bill survives, Jeannie. But it's far from the only thing making its way through the legislature. We are six weeks into the session now, just over three more weeks to go. What kinds of bills are you watching as these final hours of the session tick away? 
Yeah, there's certainly a lot. I mean, the legislature covers everything from health and schools to prisons and the legal system. But for me personally, I'm focusing on some bills around prison resentencing, some traffic safety conversations, and then seeing what the policy picture is going to emerge around opioids and fentanyl. There's been a lot of conversation about that. And we're seeing budgets start to roll out. So the funding of all of this is definitely something to keep eyes on. What about these voter initiatives, Jeannie? Obviously, there is expectation that a number of these uh, proposals like repealing the Climate Commitment Act are going to end up on the ballot this fall. What's the latest with those? Yeah, we got some interesting news last week. Um, So three of these voter initiatives will get public hearings in the legislature next week, and three of them will go directly to voters. So repealing the key parts of the Climate Commitment Act, um, a proposal to repeal the capital gains tax, and then another to uh, to make the state's long term health care, the walk cares payroll tax optional, those three are going directly to the ballot. So those will not have hearings. But there are three others um, that are getting hearings next week. One would ban income taxes at the local and state level. Another would roll back the limits on police car chases that lawmakers passed in 2021. And then a third would create a so-called Parents' Bill of Rights. Um, So those three will get hearings next week. Lawmakers could enact those as is and just say, yep, these are the law of the land now. Or they could propose an alternative that will go on voters' ballots alongside the original initiative, basically giving voters the choice to pick between the two. So we'll see what they do with those. But those hearings are coming down next week. I can already hear the groans of people trying to do all the research for their ballot this fall. There's going to be so many complicated decisions in front of them. And we'll be here for them, Jeannie. You and I uh, walking through all of the big policy choices. You know, last year's legislation focused on housing, Jeannie. Are you seeing any trends emerging this year? I mean, it's a short session. Uh, I think that there's a lot of effort to follow up on some of the big policy conversations that happened last year, certainly the rent stabilization conversation, some other housing bills, um, and then the opioid and fentanyl conversation. There's a lot going on around um, education, prevention, and just awareness there. Um, So some of the policies that were passed last year are still sort of um, gaining traction or starting to be implemented. So I think this year is really sort of a follow-up year. And then seeing how those dollars are playing out. But honestly, the initiative conversation has been pretty dominant this session. And it will be throughout our 2024 election year. It sure will. Yeah. Northwest News Network state government reporter Jeannie Lindsay. Always great to have you on the show. Good to hear from you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.